And the movie Catch Me If You Can, Frank Abagnale is an only child. And when he's a teenager, his parents divorce, in part because of his dad's financial problems. He tries to impress them as a, uh, like a 15-year-old young man. He tries to impress them by getting money because he thinks if his family has more money, his parents will stay together. And so he becomes a con artist. And eventually he learns how to impersonate a pilot at uh, 16, 17 years old. He, he looks older than he is. And he learns how to act like he's a pilot and, I mean, get the uniform on, he's a Pan Am pilot, and he learns that this is his ticket to money because when he walks up to the bank teller's window as a pilot, he can get money. He, and he learns how to forge checks, and he rakes in millions of dollars. He actually flies planes. I mean, as, as a teenager, he studies the manual, and he learns by doing it because he's, he's, not, the chief, he's not the chief pilot. He's just the, the uh, supporting pilot, and he asks lots of questions, and he's a super intelligent young man. So he actually flies planes as a teenager. He's not a pilot. And he's bringing all this money. Well, one Christmas, uh, he, he's lonely. I mean, he's got all this money, but he's totally lonely. And he doesn't have connection with his family. He's the, he's the only child. And he's, he's very unhappy and depressive. And so he goes to his mom's house uh, trying to reconnect with her. And we're going to watch the, the clip of this. You saw some of the pictures there. So what happens is he, he looks in the window. It's warm inside, there's, and it's cold where he is, and he sees his mom. He sees her new husband, who he's never even met. He has no connection uh, with them. And then this little girl walks up to the window. She's about four years old. And uh, he, 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 he kind of tapped, tapped on the window to get her attention. She walks over, and she's playing her harmonica. And she's, she's singing, and she's really happy. And then uh, he says to her, who's your mommy? And she points at his mom. That's my mommy. And then he just begins crying. He's never met this little girl before. He didn't know his mom had a new family. And so now he's seeing before him what he wishes that he had, this sense of family and home and warmth and belonging and so forth. And he's on, on the outside in the cold looking in. And then the police cars show up, and the CIA, there's like six or eight police cars that, that show up, and, and then they take him away, and he's, he's arrested. And as, as he's in, in the police car, and just about to turn around, you, he's, his vision, and they show you the camera angle, look back at the house, and then uh, his, the family has heard the, the noise of the sirens. And so the mom, and then her new husband, and a little girl come outside and look to see what's going on. And they're all standing there together. Again, this sense of family. And he's on the outside looking in, about to be put into, into prison. So it's a movie, is Catch Me If You Can. And it really plays out this experience that I think, even if not in such an extreme caricature, I think that we all know what it feels like to be on the outside of the group, on the outside of the warm, uh, loving relationship and feel like we're looking in and I talk with people all the time who feel this way as a therapist, and I myself feel this way. I just recently, I was in a group uh, with a group of leaders, Christian leaders, and uh, we were, there was a lot of conversation going on around some decisions that need to be made, and you know, I'm kind of a slow processor. I, t I take things I internally, and I'm not usually quick to speak, 
especially when there's a whole lot of people with lots of ideas and lots of conversation. And uh, I very much felt like I was on the outside looking in in that, that two-hour meeting. I didn't, it was hard to break in because so many people had so much to say. And I'm listening, I'm listening, and I'm, you know, I'm absorbing. It's hard to, hard to get my thoughts out there because I'm internalizing what everybody else is saying. And, and you know, it's going so fast, I'm feeling left out. Uh, a man told me recently how he is, all his life has felt like he's on the outside looking in. Uh, his parents divorced when he was little, and he moved from house to house and didn't have a good bond with either of his parents or his step-parents. He says he always feels insecure, always feels anxious. Uh, I talk with people who feel like they're on the outside looking in, even when they grew up in an intact family. Uh, mom and dad together loved each other, you know, family, uh, uh, a, good, a good Christian family, but the family lacking in communication skills and in the, the ability to really listen and, and empathize with the kids and, and really draw out experiences and feelings and needs and, and questions and concerns and, and struggles and, and relate in ways that are emotionally bonding and, and nurturing and compassionate and validating of feelings and, and working things through. And if you haven't experienced empathy and compassion and, and a deep emotional bonding. You can go through life where everything is good on the outside. The Christmas picture of the family looks great, you know. You got a great job, you know, and you, 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 you love each other, you're committed to each other in your family relationships, but there isn't intimacy. There isn't vulnerability. And so when this, if this is your profile, you might feel like you're on the outside looking in, especially when you slow down from everything that's going on. Uh, young moms, we've got a lot of young moms here in the room. And, uh, you know, it's how easy it is as a mom to look at, at the other moms and, and the kids that, that are in the, you know, their, their kids and feel like, you know, they're also put together and they're, you know, they're doing everything right or they, they have a, you know, better behaved children and they have this nice, you know, we compare, right? And w- we men do it too. We compare Maybe if it's not family, maybe it's, it's uh, success or, or car or, or job, you know. And we feel like other people have got it. And we, we don't, you know. And so we feel like we're on the outside looking in. A friend of mine uh, who is a, a Korean American, like, like most of you, he says, he says, Bill, I'm a Twinkie. I'm yellow on the outside. But on the inside, I'm white. I've grown up in this American culture. I'm like, I'm, you know, I'm like you, but I don't look like you. And I don't really fit with my parents. They don't even speak English. They speak, they speak Korean, and I, I speak Korean to connect with them. But I identify um, you know, more with, with this culture, but not, not totally. I'm, really, I'm in a third culture. I'm, I'm a Korean American. I imagine some of you feel that way. And when you're just in, uh, when, you're, when you're all together, you have a sense of belonging because um, we're a, a box of Twinkies here. Well, most of us. <laughs> but when you go out into, into Santa Ana and Tustin and, you know, Orange County, you, you might not feel like you belong. If you're in a neighborhood, you know, of other ethnic groups, you might feel like you're on the outside. So these experiences of being on the outside looking in, they, they remind us of this 
deep, deep need we have to belong, to be welcomed into the community, the group, the family. And so the good news of Christmas is that Emmanuel comes for outsiders. And in our passage in in Matthew chapter 1, Matthew is writing, first of all, to Jews to show them that Jesus is the Savior they need. He uses lots of of Old Testament prophecies to communicate this, and he highlights that the gospel of Jesus, the good news of salvation from sin, is for Gentiles too. And one of the ways he highlights this is in his genealogy, right at the beginning of Matthew, and this is the context for our passage in Matthew uh, chapter 1, 18 to 25 that we read um, as a church earlier. The ancient genealogies uh, typically omitted women, but Matthew didn't do that. His genealogy, he has four women. Three of them are Gentiles. Tamar, a Canaanite. Rahab from Jericho, a prostitute no less. She put her trust in Yahweh and helped the Israeli spies. Ruth, a Moabite, despised by the Israelites. She became King David's great-grandmother. Bathsheba, an Israelite probably, who married a foreigner. And so Matthew is communicating, even in his, the way he traces the, ancestry, the human ancestry of Jesus, he's communicating that the gospel of Jesus Christ is for everyone. And this is a radical thing that God does this uh, in the Bible, in his holy word, in his message to all people, that right there in, in our text, he tells the, the story of the genealogy in a different way. And so with that context in mind, we begin in verse 18, and let's just go through the passage again. Uh, This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, before they came to the marriage bed, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit because Joseph, her husband, was was faithful to the law. He's He's a noble, good, and righteous man. And, but yet he did not want to expose her to public disgrace. So you see, he's got a quandary here. What am I going to do? He had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. You know, why does the angel say, do not be afraid? Angels, of course, they seem to always say that because angels are pretty scary creatures. But Joseph was scared even before the angel showed up. He doesn't know what to do. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place, here's our key verse, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. He obeyed the Lord. Not an easy thing to do. And he took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. And he, 
Joseph, gave him the name Jesus. Wow. Awesome. We don't want that story to be so familiar that we, we miss how pregnant it is with incredible meanings and blessings for us. And Matthew tells the story differently than Luke, who comes behind him. Matthew just touches on Mary. Did you notice that? He's really telling the story of Christmas through Joseph. Uh, but we know that Mary is pregnant outside of wedlock, and we know, Joseph doesn't know, but we know, as, as Matthew's telling us the story, that it is through the Holy Spirit. And as Luke makes more clear, it's a miracle birth, virgin birth. Well, I mean, Matthew makes it clear too because of the Isaiah prophecy. But so if we think about it, we know that what's going on here is, okay, Matthew, uh, Matthew is showing us that Mary is pregnant and she's not married and this is a very embarrassing, disgraceful thing in that culture. Mary is essentially wearing the scarlet A. She is branded by people, judged by them as an adulteress. She is, if there's ever an outsider, she is now an outsider. Now Joseph, you know, he gets forgotten in the Christmas story, but as I said, Matthew keys on him. And one of the things I've noticed as I've you know, read this and meditated on this over the years is that it's occurred to me that Matthew is using Joseph as a literary device. Remember, Matthew is writing to Jews. Matthew represents the reader. Matthew doesn't believe, I mean, Joseph doesn't believe that Jesus is the Messiah. He doesn't believe that, he doesn't believe Mary's story about the angel, about you know, the miraculous conception, that she, she didn't have sex with another man, God's made her pregnant. He doesn't believe, I mean, who, how could you believe that? You know, I mean, if you put yourself in his position, none of us would believe that, right? And so th- that's exactly where the Jewish reader is. They don't believe this, this whole story. He, he thinks that Mary's baby is because of sin. Mary tells him about the angel, God speaking to her, the child is from the Holy Spirit. I mean, you know, Joseph would be like, wait a minute. God didn't say this to me. I haven't gotten any angel. Joseph is an outsider. He's got an amazing dilemma. Is he going to judge Mary to save his own reputation, right? But she might be stoned to death if he does that. He doesn't want to do that to her, right? Is he going to go ahead and marry her, even though in his mind she's got another man's baby in her womb? And then now he could be stoned. I mean, basically, he's going to judge her because the whole community is going to judge her now, or he's going to take that judgment upon himself, right? So then Joseph has a dream. I wonder if any of us have had a dream where an angel has come to us. Actually, could be. You know, Hebrews says that many of us have entertained angels without realizing it. Have you ever thought about how difficult it might have been for Joseph? Okay, so he did get an angel, but it was in a dream. I mean, how did he know and trust that it was really an angel? Maybe we like over-spiritualize that and turn it into some you know, incredible event with you know, an angel physically present in the room, shining like the sun, you know, creating heat on Joseph's body and waking him up and, oh, oh, it's an angel. Oh, yes, this is what I'm going to do. Maybe it happened that way, but it doesn't sound like it. I mean, he had a dream, and he's sleeping, and he wakes up, right? And it's like, oh, I had a dream. 
He listens to his dream. Joseph listens to a lot of dreams, doesn't he? There's a number of dreams in the Christmas story that are really important. What a wise, discerning, courageous man Joseph is. He listens to his dream, and he trusts that it's, it's, it's from the Lord. And so he obeys the Lord, and he takes Mary to be his wife. Essentially, now he puts the scarlet A on his body. He's now like an adulterer, you see. People are now judging him. They're laughing at him. They're snickering at him when he walks by because he married this woman who's carrying somebody else's baby, and everybody knows that's what she was doing when she went off into the hill country to visit her older cousin Elizabeth and was gone for three months and comes back into the village pregnant. She's an adulteress. And look, Joseph is taken. Oh, maybe it's Joseph's baby. Maybe he got her pregnant before they were, were married. See, all these judgments, all these whispers. Now, Joseph is taking that all onto himself. So can you see Joseph as the unsung hero of Christmas now? Can you see Joseph as the gentle protector that comes to Mary and, and takes her close now and protects her from judgment? And, and by the way, Mary's like 13 or 14 years old or something, right? I mean, she's a young woman, which is older than 13 or 14 today, but still a very young, vulnerable, fragile woman. Still got seven more years of brain development in her body, you know, just cognitively. She's not even fully, you know, adult in her thinking, right? So she's, she's tender and sensitive, impressionable, right? Joseph is caring for her and protecting her, takes her as his wife, takes Jesus. Joseph named him Jesus. What the angel said to Mary, the angel said to Joseph, you'll name him Jesus. That was what linked their stories. Joseph obeyed the Lord, named him Jesus. Nobody in the family had been named Jesus, but Joseph named him Jesus. He was adopting Jesus as his own son. He was taking him on. So I think you can see that Joseph is a Christ figure before Jesus is even born. Joseph is is showing us the Emmanuel love of God in the way that he cares for Mary. So, um, when, when Matthew writes, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. See, all this took place. The genealogy, the story of Mary in her pregnancy, the story of Joseph and how he trusted the Lord and took Mary as his wife. All this took place. Not just the famous part with Mary, but all the Christmas story here is showing us God is Emmanuel. The Lord is with us. His arms are open to us. You see, Joseph experienced his Emmanuel moment. It wasn't just for Mary. The Lord came to Joseph too. And so we need to ask ourselves now, and this is where the message wraps up here, is am I living in an Emmanuel world? Ask yourself, what kind of a world are you living in? As you're with your family, preparing lunch, having lunch together, as you're 
driving your car, as you're doing your job, as you're getting your kids dressed to go to school. As we go through the different situations of our life, am I living in the visible situation, my circumstance, and is are my emotions and my thoughts and my experiences totally tied into my situation? Or am I learning to transcend the physical, visible world I'm in and live from the Emmanuel world, the kingdom of the heavens, the Trinitarian community of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? And by the way, in our, in our Matthew 1 passage, the Trinity is present. God is mentioned four times. Jesus is mentioned four times. Holy Spirit is mentioned two times. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the Trinity, all present for us. God is a community. God is the perfect family of love. And God is an inclusive family. The door is open to anyone that wants to come into the family of God through the person of Jesus, through his death on the cross and his resurrection. We are all welcome into this family, you see. Emmanuel, God is saying, I am here. And our opportunity is to, is to learn through, through coming to church, through being in a small group, through Bible study, through other spiritual disciplines, like maybe fasting or solitude and silence or deep meditation on Scripture or talking with um, a, a soul friend or a spiritual mentor about our life and our relationship with God and seeking support and encouragement. See, the different disciplines or practices that we do to grow in our experience of God's grace and to grow in our capacity to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbor as the Lord loves us. We, there are disciplines and exercises that we can do now to grow in, in this sense that, yes, I'm in an Emmanuel world. And now, as I'm in different situations in my life, including things that are stressful or disappointing, including the hard things of Christmas, as well as the happy things of Christmas, I can be drawing on another world, another place, another source. Emmanuel, love, joy, and peace are present for me to help me right now. If only I will appreciate it. If only as Jenny and I are walking down the aisle that wedding, let's slow it down, honey. Let's walk a little slower. Let's enjoy this. You see, God is present. I've learned to receive this as Jesus saying to us, come to me, take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And it's the easy yoke life. It's being attached to Jesus, connected to him, like a young ox being hooked up to a mature ox, and we're going to pull a plow together across a field to get some work done. Because we've all got work to do in our lives. The work of family, the work of earning a living. We can be in an easy yoke with Jesus. The Father and Son, intimacies and knowledge. That's the Emmanuel world is getting hitched up to Jesus, you see. And something that really helps me in this easy yoke life is... uh, Praying breath prayers, little 
short phrases from the Bible that I breathe in and out is a way of meditating on Scripture, is a way of renewing my mind and helping, because our minds can get so scattered, right? Helping me to slow down the moment, focus in, God is here. Reminding myself, Bill, God is here. You see? And so I've been doing that this week for you uh, as I uh, watched and prayed about this moment, being with you, and was praying, Emmanuel, God is with us. Breathing in, Emmanuel, Emmanuel. Breathing out, God is with us. You see? As I'm breathing in, I'm whispering the sweet name of the Lord, Emmanuel. As I breathe out, I'm whispering, God is with us. You see? Let's just try this for, for a moment. If you just begin to practice saying, okay, what if I could turn a, my breathing in and breathing out to be like a, a physical praying? You see? Just like we raise our hands when we worship, or maybe we might kneel when we pray, we could use our breathing to help us engage our, our mind, our thoughts, and our heart, our will, with the word of the Lord, you see? So I'm going to be quiet for just a moment and let you begin. As, as you're breathing in, breathing out, maybe slow down your breathing a little bit, maybe breathe in a little deeper, hold your breath, breathe out. Go ahead and do that. Breathing in. Yes, Lord. Breathing out. Thank you, Lord. Breathe in, Emmanuel. Breathe out, God is with us.